So we've been in an Advent series, and Advent is a term that the church has used for a long time to talk about the four Sundays preceding Christmas, where we take some time to center our hearts and our minds on the birth of Jesus, right? Uh, we have these, uh, if anybody, did anybody grow up in the Catholic Church? Yeah, me too. Okay, what's up? What's up, y'all? Um, so, uh, so there's a lot of, uh, of traditions, um, even within you know, the Christian faith, that uh, kind of work off this liturgical calendar. Um, uh, we don't particularly do that here, but we really center Advent and Easter um, as well. But, but this specific time is really important for us. Um, within all the things that are wrapped up in the holidays and uh, trying to get to family, trying to figure out how you're going to pay for those gifts or whatever that may be for you, Today is about us coming together to focus on, um, <laughs> no pun intended, the reason for the season, right? Or, or, or our reason for the season, right? We, we want to center on why the significant, why Jesus' birth is so incredibly significant for us as Christians. Um, so the last, uh, we're in our third week today. The last couple weeks, we've been looking at some themes. Uh, and let me just find my notes here. Uh, so we've looked at hope and peace, um, and today we're actually looking at the subject of love. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking today. Uh, and before we, again, before we get into our scripture today, I want to do a couple things, because we need to have a conversation about love. Are, and I want to know if you all are ready for this. Are you, are you ready? Maybe? You're like, I don't know what, that, <laughs> what you're asking me. Uh, so here's my challenge. If you know it, join in. All you need is love. Da, 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 da. All you need is love. Come on, y'all. Da, 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 da. Love, love. Love is all you need. Yeah. Or we found love in a hopeless place. You know it. We found love in a... Yes. A couple people went to some weddings this weekend. All right. Or this baby, baby, I know you've lost Top Gun fans. Been feeling, oh, that love and feeling. You've lost that. Yeah. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Da, da, da. Yeah. Good job, y'all. Good job. <laughs> Google had way too many options, and I was like, we, <laughs> we got to move. But we can do that after if you want to do that. <laughs> um, well, thanks, y'all. I know sometimes for us, it's hard to sing. It's hard to get going. But, but the reason why I wanted to do that is because the Beatles and Rihanna and the Righteous Brothers and so many artists and musicians and writers and politicians and people who create media, who shape culture, have immortalized this idea of love in our minds and our hearts. And in that mix, in that extensive dialogue or argument about what is love? How do we define it? How do we receive it? How do we express it? 
Jesus comes into that and says, this is what love is. And that this definition supersedes all definitions. And that's what we want to center is how does Jesus' birth show us God's love through Jesus becoming a human, being born into this earth. So that's what we're reflecting on, y'all. Y'all ready? Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so I want you to, um, to close your eyes for, for a minute. Um, close your eyes with me. Take a deep breath. Take another deep breath. I want to invite you to take a moment to think about how you relate to this idea or this subject of God's love. I want to ask, do you feel stale or apathetic? Do you feel like you understand God's love intellectually, but your heart, the deep-seated confidence and experience of God's love is so distant from you right now? Do you feel hurt or wronged by God? Like, I could never love a God like that. Do you feel deeply moved by God's love? That you are sitting in this place where you're almost jumping out of yourself because of how deeply you experience, you realize you're living in God's love? Or do you feel that you're unlovable? That because of what you've done, how you've thought, how you've acted, something about who you are is defining that love as like, no, I, I, I could never be the person to receive the love of God. And Holy Spirit, I pray that today you would move within us. God, that wherever we're at, how we tee up to this idea of love, that through God, the illustration, our discussion, the realization of Jesus coming into this earth, God, I feel like you would paint a picture of your love today that draws us to be your beloved sons and daughters that are sitting with confidence and our identity in you and the reality of who we are as those people. So Holy Spirit, you can only do the work. And God, I pray that you would do it today. Amen. Amen. So I know we're doing a lot of preamble, but I just want you all to be prepared. Have all the, the materials to understand where we're starting this conversation. Uh, so Julie's going to come up in a minute to uh, read our scripture and to light our Advent candle. Uh, it's a symbol of centering the subject that we're going to be looking at today. Um, but 
oftentimes when you jump into part of the Bible, it's helpful to know where, where the conversation is and where, where, where we're dipping in. And so John chapter 3 is this really amazing and, and really beautiful and kind of weird story about this guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's kind of like a religious elite, so you can think PhD, somebody who knows a ton about the Bible um, and who teaches other people about that. And so Nicodemus comes up to Jesus, and he's just like, Jesus, we know that you have to be from God. The stuff that you're doing, no one else can do that. So you have to be from God. And this is how Jesus responds to him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is like, uh, I just want to will you back a minute, because you said born again, and that's not physically possible right? Just imagine if somebody told you, like, hey, if you have to follow Jesus, you need to be born again. You had no concept of maybe spiritual rebirth that you might have now, and you're like, that's just not possible and kind of gross if you think about it. So let's, let's be honest. And Jesus is like, oh, and he starts to tell Nicodemus and have a conversation with him about what it actually means to be spiritually reborn. And so that's the context. And, the, and what we're going to read today some of the most famous uh, sections of scripture in our faith um, for a lot of us, ones we've heard so much, um, but this is the culmination of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Um, so yeah, I can invite Drew up to, to read our scripture for the day. All right, John three sixteen through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is God's word. So if you notice how many times love is mentioned in John's gospel and also his other writings in the New Testament, you'll see that John is all about love, right? Like he mentions it actually more than any other writer um, in the New Testament. And it's beautiful to read how much John uh, connects and founds his understanding of his relationship with him and God in love. It's like critical to his understanding. As we talked about before, uh, we do need to, to really center, like when the Bible talks about love, like what are we actually talking about? How are we sifting through our cultural understanding of that um, and really understanding love as what the Bible is communicating, specifically this term agape love? So the Bible Project has a ton of amazing resources that uh, condense these concepts in a really accessible way. So we're going to show the video of this, the Bible Project tackling the theme of love, and then we'll circle back and have a bit more of a conversation about that. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. 
do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day, it was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another.
So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. That's a beautiful picture of love, huh? I've watched that a lot <laughs> over the past couple of weeks, and it doesn't cease to hit home. It's like, that's the vision of love that I want us to share. Um, just think about the implications if we lived in a world where that's how people identified, defined, and lived out love, right? That's starting to get at the picture of the kingdom that God wants to bring people into. Um, so to underscore that point, that at the center of the universe, this key part of the Christian faith is that we have a God who is overflowing with self-sacrificial agape love for his people and his creation. That's the basis for our understanding of love. First John, or, so this is uh, one of John's New Testament letters, um, uh, same authors as the gospel. But he says this uh, in 1 John um, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, anybody who does not love God does not know God. Or sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so John's making this connection of like, like God is the one who shows us, who defines, who demonstrates love in the most pure, authentic way. That if we want to know what love is, if we really want to know, we need to look to God. Um, and as we saw, Jesus is a key part of that understanding. Uh, so with that, with that idea, let's jump into talking about this term called the incarnation, right? And here we go. Slide is up. Are you ready for this? The incarnation, just a public service announcement, is not a flower. Um, so if you thought it was, I'm sorry. <laughs> That was a dad joke, so that was fun. Uh, <laughs> so the incarnation is another theological term to talk about the miracle in this incredible reality of God becoming a human, right? Um, so so let's, let, let's actually read uh, John 3, 16 and 17, kind of pick up on some of this language, tying love and the incarnation together. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave... God did not send his son into this world. Uh, I'm sorry. Sorry, God sent his son into this world. So maybe to rephrase that a bit, um, let's see that God loves, and then the expression of that love is God giving and God sending. Are you all tracking with me? Right? Like God, God so loved the world that he gave and he sent, right? Um, so John's talking about this this. this theological concept, right? This idea, this truth about our faith that God has done this out of love. So you, you kind of miss it a little bit in the, in the English language here, um, right? Like God so loved the world, you're like, oh, that's great, cool, all right, sweet. But if, if you read the, the original language, what, what is really trying to be conveyed is that God is giving and sending out of this intense love, this, this incredible, self-sacrificial bent towards blessing 
the world, humanity, and his creation. Um, it's hard for us to think about like what, what, what that is, right? Sometimes, it, and, and you might even be thinking right now about how it's like, yeah, I've heard that, but God coming into the world just doesn't, doesn't really hit me, doesn't really hit me. I can identify absolutely with that experience. And what I want to challenge you to today is as we're talking about love and you feel yourself in that place of like callousness of like, man, yeah, or I know this, but I'm not really engaging with it. I remember hearing somebody say that the most difficult journey for us sometimes is the 18-inch journey. Has anybody heard this before? From our head to our heart. We can live so much with this, this, uh, this intellectual relationship with God where we hear that God so loved the world that he sent, that he gave his son, and we just miss that God is saying something incredibly profound. The thing that angels hear and in Scripture talks, they're rejoicing, right? It's like this is one of the most incredible truths that will ever be gifted to humanity, right? So I want to challenge you. Pray through that. Ask the Holy Spirit to transition this information to your heart. So God is acting out of this intense love for humanity, um, and it's shown through him giving and sending his son into this world, that this is a loving act towards humanity and his creation. Uh, and we get a little more insight into, like, what this is. It's like, okay, God became a human, but, like, what is, you know, is it just like, okay, became a human? Um, like, what, what, is that, what is that all about? And uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, he says this, he says, Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And so what that shows us, what that shows me, is that one, God is giving up something that's extremely precious to him. For those of us who, uh, who have the, the experience of, of children, um, I, I think there can be a deeper resonance to this, right? This idea of giving up your flesh and blood. Um, and, you know, Jesus didn't have to compete with, well, I guess he did have to compete with brothers and sisters on this earth, but he was an only child, right? Like, he got all the attention, right? I might be getting a little facetious here. Uh, but the point is, is that Jesus is God's only son, his most precious, beloved son. He says that at Jesus' baptism. This is, who, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And God's like, I love my people, humanity, so much that I'm going to give them Jesus. And then Jesus, is, and this is a little bit kind of thinking about God in terms of the Trinity. This might be a, a, a foreign concept to you. Um, but but the, the, the traditional Christian view of God is that God is one entity with three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the reason why that helps us think about what it costs Jesus to come to this earth is because the picture that Scripture paints for us of the Trinity is that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been eternally wrapped up in this beautiful relationship of self-sacrificial agape love. C.S. Lewis talks about it as this divine dance 
where there's this, I, I, I can't even access it particularly with language because it's difficult to imagine what that could be. But what I can say is, and where I go to is, Jesus left the most perfect, loving, sinless. There was no evil, no manipulation in this relationship. It was perfect. And Jesus said, I will leave the bliss and the beauty of union with the Father and the Holy Spirit to do this, to become a poor Jewish boy born to an unmarried mother in a dirty stable in modern-day Palestine. Let's sit with that for a minute. That Jesus came from perfection to a degree we can't imagine. To one of the lowest states that someone could be born into. And Jesus does that to show us that he identifies with us. That he is not separate. Although he is in one way, right? He is God and he is holy and he is great and unfathomable. And yet God becomes a vulnerable baby and says, I, out of my love for you, will enter into this world to be with you, to be one of you because I love you. Um, there's a really cool illustration of incarnational love, a story that I want to share with you all. So we can go to the next slide. Uh, so if you see the person on my left, um, the person in the black jacket. So uh, his name is Ralph Lazo. Uh, and in 1942, um, 117,000 people of Japanese descent, two-thirds of whom were native-born citizens of the United States, were forced out of their homes and communities and incarcerated into internment camps. Ralph is the only known person of non-Japanese descent to voluntarily be interned in those camps. Lazo was a Mexican-American teenager living in Los Angeles at the time. He experienced some intense racial discrimination, um, but he'd also seen that same dis discrimination expressed towards his friends who were Japanese and amplified when World War II began. And so when his friends were, been, were being given the orders to evacuate their homes, um, evacuate is not a good term, being torn out, ripped from their homes, put on a bus to go to these internment camps, he said, I'm going. Teenager. Lied to his parents. Told them that he was going to camp. Right? That's intense. Think about that. And years later, he was, in, he was in Manzanar for two years before he got drafted in the army. And, and what he said years later when they asked him why he did it, he said, internment was immoral, it was wrong, and I couldn't accept it. Ralph gave up his freedom to identify with people that he loved, right? There's such beauty in seeing incarnational agape love expressed especially when it's in response to injustice, right? On the behalf of the people who are impacted by injustice. And I think that's a great transition for us to think about, well, what did Jesus come into, right? It wasn't just that he was God and he became a human, okay, but where did he come into? What did he enter? 
So let's talk about the context, which is the world. Um, make no mistake, Jesus did not come into a neutral world. He came into a world that was being ripped apart at the seams. If we look at John 3.16 again and emphasize some of the language that points us to that, we see uh, the phrases uh, should not perish, to condemn the world. Um, Whoever does not believe in me is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And that people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So again, Jesus isn't entering this world that's a blank slate. He's coming into a world that is in deep suffering and need of rescuing. Are you all with me in that? Yeah? You doing okay? Okay, okay. The other thing is when we talk about love, sometimes we can stay here, right? Like love, oh, love. But the true depth of love involves looking evil right in the face and saying God is greater than that. And we'll get there. But be with me in this, okay? Let's be in this together. Uh, So Jesus tells us that the two greatest commandments, um, he says this in the Gospels, he says uh, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, that this is the greatest commandment. To extend God love with like that degree of emphasis dedication, resources, and focus. And then he says this, and the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But from the beginning and throughout Scripture, what we're told is that we, humanity, have rephrased that to be this, that instead we have sought to love ourselves with all our heart, our soul, and our mind and to love ourselves at the expense of our neighbor. That's one way of thinking about this term called sin. As a consequence, we've created systems and ways of thinking and acting that are deeply embedded in you and me, far deeper than we, we know, to the very core of who we are, that dehumanize us, that are the cause of our own suffering and the evil that we perpetrate and experience. This past week, I was at a week-long intensive training that was looking at how our culture is impacted by racism. And there was a person there throughout the week, they had realized how deep racist attitudes and actions ran in their life. And this is what they said. Upon realizing that, they said, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't feel human. We all feel that. That is the impact of sin, that we are robbed of the image of God within ourselves. And compounding and compounding and compounding of years and cultures and generations and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you all can see that this world is so deeply entrenched in sin upon sin upon sin of us making choices and doing things to love ourselves over others Um, at the expense of others, and to love ourselves with all heart, soul, strength, and mind, to reject God. And John also says, to even give us a more honest treatise of our hearts, he says this. He says that people love the darkness, that we actually love sin. 
That was so hard for me to hear. But I, as I reflect on that, I know it's true. I know there's parts of my own sin. And please be clear, I'm doing this work, y'all. This is lifelong work of identifying and uprooting sin in our lives and bringing it before the Lord. We're going to get there. Don't worry. We're going to get there to why Jesus came as a baby. But Paul, John says we love it. And that is, is another layer to the depth of our depravity, that we're not just perpetrating this, but on that deep level, we've learned to operate, to love these things that are actually killing us. And this is the reason why God so loved the world that he sent his only son, he gave his only son, that by coming to this world, by us having faith, believing, we would have redemption. So let's look at how God responds to this deep issue of brokenness in our lives. God's purpose, salvation. So reading John 3.16 again to emphasize some of the language about God's response and what he's doing, he says this, phrases like, whoever believes in him, Jesus, should have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And this is it. God's saying that in the midst of this elaborate, difficult, harsh, terrible experience that we're in, he comes in and he says, the beginning part of unraveling that for us is to start with believing in Jesus and what he's come to do. Um, right before this section of scripture uh, in John 3, 14 through 15, Jesus says something that's really trippy. And bear with me for a minute because if you haven't heard the story or like read it, it's probably like, what the is this? So just bear with me. But he says this. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what Jesus is talking about, he's quoting or referencing a story in Numbers chapter 21. That's a book of the Old Testament, where uh, Moses and the Israelites are in exile. The Israelites do something really jacked up, and they, they reject God. They sin against God. Um, and so God sends snakes to bite the Israelites. They're dying, and they say, God, deliver us from this. Is anybody feeling like this is a weird story? It's a little weird story, but it gets weirder because God's like, Moses, create a bronze snake, a serpent, put it up on a pole, and when people look at it, they will be delivered. Anybody else weirded out yet? Really weird story. But Jesus is, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm that serpent. Look to me. Look to what I am doing. Look to my life. Let me lead you. And that is the pathway to unraveling the brokenness within you and within our culture. That is the reason why Jesus came. We are the object of his love. And he is responding to the very thing that we cannot take care of in our own power or even as a culture. As a humanity, as a human race, we can't do this. But Jesus is saying, I will 
do this. And it starts with having faith in me, believing in me. Um, so God gave what is supremely precious to him, his child. Jesus, the son of God, left the eternal, perfect, agape love relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit to become, again, that poor Jewish boy born to an unmarried woman, unmarried mother, in a dirty stable in a town in modern-day Palestine to start his journey where 33 years later he would die out of love for his enemies. And in that act, what we learn from Scripture is that Jesus carried the complete weight the complete consequences of all of our sin, past, present, and future, so that we could be reunited with God in the loving relationship that we were meant to be. We were meant to be part of. That's what we were created for. That's what we celebrate in Christmas, is God beginning that journey to the cross, his death, his resurrection, bringing us into a new possibility, and I pray into new life through believing in him. And so what's, what's the response? What is God calling us to do? And we'll end here. Um, I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. Um, we're also going to have uh, some folks up here for communion and for prayer at the sides. Um, and please, if you need prayer, please come up. We see that as such an integral piece, you finding the healing that you need, that we all need. So if God's stirring in your heart and you're just like, I need to get someone with someone and pray through this, please, we love you. That's why we're here to do that. But this is the response. Um, to repent and believe. Uh, repentance, raise your hand if repentance has a bad connotation for you. Anybody? This term has been used in a lot of difficult and harsh and harmful ways in discussion, in Christian culture. Um, and if that's you, I want to say I'm sorry. Um, and I want to recognize that, that that's our part, is that we need to do a better job at not defining repentance as you need to change all of who you are before you come to God, but that the biblical understanding of repentance is actually, first and foremost, thinking differently thinking differently about who God is. The, the, the believe part is better translated as trust. And this is what Jesus says. He actually calls us to this in, in Mark. He says, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And what Jesus is saying, he's, he's like, I want you to change the way you're thinking and approaching God, and I want you to trust in him. That's what he's saying, is, is changing the way that you've been thinking about God, his love, how you factor into that relationship, and trusting that what God says about you, about me, and all my brokenness, and about Jesus, and what he's done, and the beautiful gift of, of his death, his resurrection, the grace, the forgiveness, the salvation that he offers you and me. That is the pathway to healing, to making us whole, and to the vibrant community of people who are following Jesus, that is the picture of the fulfillment of Scripture. 
Tim Keller has this beautiful quote. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. That's the Christian life, is being completely honest, letting God show us the accurate representation of who we are, but also who we are in Jesus. To talk about the picture of that, um, the Holy Spirit has spoken something to Mo, and she's going to share it with you all before we start to worship. So this is something that the Lord showed me when I was in a deep, deep time of um, struggling really, really badly with anxiety and fear after a pretty traumatic event that had happened in my life. And um, I had always thought of repentance as me, like, fighting my way back to the Lord. Like, it was me. It was him kind of coming down on me and being like, why are you worried? You know you're not supposed to worry. All the verses, like, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. And I had this really, really strong picture of, like, God's really disappointed in me, and I have to somehow fight my way back to him. And I've got to combat these lies. And there was one night that the Lord gave me this strong picture, and he showed me that the enemy was down the road, and he was calling for me, and he was lying, and he was saying all these things, and I felt like I had to go. I had to listen. I had to follow that path. And the Lord gave me this picture, Mo, that is the enemy, and he hates you, and he wants to destroy your life. Just turn around. I am right here. And the Lord showed me this picture of me. He was right there. I had to turn. And that was the picture of repentance. And he was right there in love, waiting for me to pull me on his lap and fight for me. He had one hand around me and one hand extended with a sword. And he was fighting. And the whole battle for me was staying in the Lord's presence. That is the battle. And that is the picture of repentance. And the repentance came from that love of the Lord for me, the Lord showing me that he loved me. He didn't ask me to fight my way back to him. He was right behind me. He was way closer than the enemy was. I could hear his voice really loud, but the Lord was right here, and he just asked me to turn around and sit in his lap, and I feel like I'm not the only one. I feel like the Lord didn't give me that picture just for me, but I think there's probably other people, too, who maybe you have a different battle going on. Maybe it's a different a different lie that the enemy is trying to lead you away from the presence of the Lord with. But I want to encourage you this morning, like the Lord is right there and he's not there to condemn you. He's there because he wants to gather you up in his arms and he wants to fight this battle for you. And your battle is staying there and not listening to the enemy's voice who's trying to lead you away from the presence of the God who loves you. Would y'all stand if you're able? Let's just take a moment to close our eyes in prayer. God, your love is the most incredible thing. God, it is the love that we have always hoped for or maybe never dared hope for. And God, for, for us in this room who are either stale, apathetic, feeling deeply hurt, feeling unlovable, or feeling deeply loved, God, wherever we're at, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would draw us deeper into the reality of, God, that, that we can be fully alive in you. God, that we can be honest with, with how deeply broken with we are because you have shown us how accepted and deeply loved we are by you. 
So God, speak to us. God, use these words. Use words that you'll speak to us in worship. Pray, God, just that we would be loved by you.